What's Good Friends List, episode 27 of the Game Pass Gamecast, coming at you. Now that 2019 has come and gone, it's time to finally talk about our Game of the Year picks. In a year where gamers have been treated to a ton of spectacular experiences, it's time for us to figure out which ones we believe stand above the rest. Plus, be sure to listen up on how you can have your voice heard regarding our choices by voting on the first ever Game Pass Gamecast Gamers Choice Award after the episode airs. Enough talk. Let's jump into another jam-packed episode of the Game Pass Gamecast. <laughs> now the fun begins. Bridget. Welcome back to another episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox and Xbox Game Pass, including news, rumors, and conversations around them damn good video games. New episodes of the show drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get a podcast and follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show and video games alike. Joining me in the new year, 2020, first show of the year, the dynamic duo trio with me, Mike Peapack and Adam Marshy Marsh. Mike, we're going to kick it to you first. What's good? What's going on? Since it's a slow news day, I'm going to ask you, obviously, what are you playing? But I want you to tell me two things. One, something from gaming the past decade that you like that you want to see carried over into the new decade. And one thing that you want to fucking just, it should have stayed even the decade before that. Don't bring that shit with you to the new decade. Uh, all right. Uh, first of all, Happy New Year to all our loyal listeners. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yes. And I was going to say that you were correct in saying a dynamic duo plus one, me and Adam the duo, you the plus one, but it's your birthday, so I'll give it the trio status. You're right. Dynamic trio here yeah. at the Game Pass Gamecast. We love you and we love everybody. And mm-hmm. uh, happy happy birthday to you, sir. But Thank you. Moreover, um, yeah, I've just been playing uh, a little bit of Halo, a lot of Age of Empires, uh, mm-hmm. and just mixing it up with um, my brother and his friends. And, well, they're my friends, too. And we've been playing some NHL and um, Smite in, in that group. But mm-hmm. also starting to get a little deeper into Sekiro when I have some free time and just nice. trying to, uh, you know, cut my teeth on that a little bit more. Oh, uh, nice. The thing that I'd like to see get away from uh, in gaming mm-hmm. um Actually, we'll start with what I like. I like that we're moving towards more cross-platform compatibility, and I like that we're starting to break down the walls that uh, gaming has presented us with the different systems and the different companies. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited for the future with us breaking down those walls. Break down those walls! Chris Jericho fucking Kool-Aid mans through your wall. Somebody (laughs) say break down the walls? (laughs) Uh, And as far as what I would like to see go uh, from gaming... um, like one um, thing that just pisses you off here like why are we fucking dealing with this in 2019 now 2020 leave that shit leave that shit in the back you know don't bring that shit with uh, us. day one let's say day one updates so release night you're mm-hmm. like hell yeah buddy we're loading this game up let's get it going oh yeah i just finally finished my 89 gigabyte download that your servers couldn't handle so it took me three days with a fast internet connection mm-hmm. let's go i'm so ready for release night 
boom, you get hit with an update that you can't even play the game for another half hour because their servers are, servers are messed up. Mm-hmm. So smoother uh, launch nights are, are, um, are what I'm looking for without uh, updates as much. Yeah, I, it's the one nice thing about, like, I know you, you pretty much go all digital at this point. Um, but the one nice thing, at least about that, if it is a game you're really looking forward to, like Red Dead or something like that, where you can, you know, pre-order online, but you could also preload it once you get to a certain point and hopefully exactly. you know a lot of day one patches are kind of built into that like once a certain game like where they can release the patch they know they're putting out a day one patch they you know they go gold with the game they send out the master copy of it to get you know reproduced and packaged up and sent out to all the stores but what's nice about obviously the one nice thing about having all digital i'm sure is the preload where you know, a certain time, they know that they're putting out a day one patch, at like 5 o'clock that day, you know, Eastern time, they're letting that patch go live for the most part. That it's already been approved, everything like that, that it's, you know, built in, and you basically have a download, so then you are ready to go. But at the same time, I do agree that, you know, I understand we don't want crunch, we don't want, we don't want people getting fucking bent over the barrel, especially devs who are putting out this stuff. You would hope that seeing how receptive when gamers are in general and also sales to back it up with when developers do delay for a good reason to make sure the game is polished and everything runs great. You know, you, you would think that they would give more like publishers would give developers a little more leeway with that. But at the same time too, you, it isn't acceptable to also just hurry up and launch a game and then, Oh, well we'll fix it on the back end because that does have, you know, at the same time, on the opposite side of it, you could see some laziness with that potentially too at the same time. So absolutely, I, I, I see both of sides like... of it, but I agree that it's like as somebody who's still, you know, with at least bigger titles likes to buy their, you know, collector's editions or whatever, and does get the physical game from time to time. I don't, I, I hate it whenever I first get it home. And if it's like on PS4, Xbox, whatever, for the most part, cause switch games are pretty quick to update, but you put that disc in and then there's like, you know, uh, fucking three gigabyte patch and it's like well fuck all right i guess i'm not playing this for a while so um but yeah i agree i i those are two good points adam what's good what's going on what have you been playing and also tell me same question what do you want to see transition from this past decade in gaming that you liked into the new one and what's something you want to fuck be left behind don't bring that shit with us into the new decade we don't need that Sure. Uh, so first of all, happy birthday and happy new year to everybody. You. If you ha- guys haven't picked up on it today, recording January 1st <laughs> is my birthday. I am unfortunately 27 now, so I'm on the back half of the 20s, but that shit sucks. But it is what it is. Gonna did stay you see positive. my Instagram comment on your post? I did not. I haven't looked at my phone since I posted that picture of Molly and I, so I'll have to look. But uh, I'm sure it was something busting my balls about needing an ARP card <laughs> or some shit. No. I don't know. I'm just, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is I'm excited now to at least one, get the senior citizen discount whenever, (laughs) and two, I, I can't wait to be that guy who like pulls up to a store 45 minutes before it opens just to sit and wait to be that first person to go and get like the one HDMI cable I need and leave. So I mean, I'm excited about that. Anyways, (laughs) um, I've been doing pretty good lately. I have been bouncing between a couple different games. I just picked up The Witcher 3 and Pillars of Eternity. Oh, man. Witcher 3 really drew me in. I, I wasn't expecting it because I had seen it played. I've watched some of it. And I'm like, eh, you know, might mm-hmm. might not be for me. But 
I don't know. I'm just really enjoying it. I finally got to, um, I kind of finished the first part of the game. I finished the, uh, not the Wyvern hunt. What did you, uh, was it? Did you leave White Orchard? Yes. Yes. Okay, I left cool. White Orchard. I got to the castle with, uh, with Yennefer. Oh, okay. Yep. So I've been enjoying that. I also picked up Pillars of Eternity um, because of I've just like remembered this game existed and it's an Obsidian RPG. Um, not liking it as much. I, I think I was expecting something more like Divinity Original Sin um, and it's not quite like that. So I did also go back and start playing my Divinity save again. <laughs> Nice. So that's basically what I've been doing. Oh, and some RimWorld thrown in there. So talk to me about RimWorld real quick, because I, I did see you over the, you know, Christmas, New Year's break time, the downtime that we've had off from work and school and whatnot. I have seen you kind of getting balls deep into that a little bit. Talk to me about RimWorld, because I've never played it. I've never, I've heard of it before, but outside of just the name, I've seen pop up on a few friends list on Steam and stuff. Talk to me about that. Is it like an RTS or... It's a little bit like or an more RTS. like a sim yeah. world type thing. It's hard to talk about RimWorld without mentioning Dwarf Fortress. I don't okay. know if you've heard of that game. Yeah. yeah. But Dwarf Fortress was like the progenitor of the genre of like kind of like heavy sim based base building games mm -hmm. um, where like a lot of what your pawns will do is self driven. Like they have their own priorities, which you can influence and you can sometimes give them direct orders but mostly you are just kind of planning things out and letting things play out on their own mm. so in gotcha. RimWorld, you typically play as like three crash landed people uh who have to like build a colony and survive on this like um this world that's like separate from uh most of the stellar societies there are other factions of like they, they, there can be tribals there can be industrialized groups on the world with you that you'll have to either trade or fight mm -hmm. um and the game just kind of functions on like a cycle of random events that happen that kind of build up this interest curve and you have to build up your base research technologies um uh you know manage your colonists moods and their needs mm -hmm. and just try to survive as long as you can it's one of those games where you kind of just make it what you want it to be mm -hmm. no. so i've been having a lot of fun with that no cool cool that's i i've just seen it kind of pop up on there a couple of times and just from the brief you know steam page looking at it it seemed pretty cool um yeah i'll yeah. um I'll, i should just stream it sometime and you can get a better idea for Hell like yeah. half an hour Hell yeah. So to cap off our intro, give me um, give me one thing you want to take into 2020 from the past decade in gaming that, you know, some kind of entity within gaming, something you liked about gaming and a trend you want to see continued and give me something that you just don't want to see fucking continued. Please leave that shit last decade. I'm going to start with the negative one first, something I just do not want to see anymore. And some developers are starting to catch on and allowing you to configure this mm -hmm. and others are still having trouble. I hate tiny text in games, especially console games where I know I'm going to be sitting on my couch, mm -hmm. like, like a couple meters away from my television. Mm -hmm. And it's just so small that you can't read it. Like fire emblem gave me this, um, something else i was playing recently i can't remember what it was but a lot of games just have real tiny text just yeah. let me scale it you know <laughs> monster hunter world let you scale it i think um i think spider-man might have let you scale the text mm -hmm. even like uh until dawn i think had scalable text so like it seems like something that'd be pretty easy to do <clears throat> if you have it in mind from the beginning 
um, just just let me do that. You know, like subtitles have been around for a long time, and there's always going to be text in the game that you need to read. So mm -hmm. it's just like a minor thing that gets on my nerves sometimes. Oh yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. What what's something good that you want to see taken over? For a positive, um, we're talking about like something that started in the last decade that we want to see carried forward. Yeah, yeah, you can go with that route. Yeah. Um, I want to see more mod support carried forward. Mm -hmm. uh, the Steam Workshop has just been a boon to modders. Like, it makes it so easy to just search for a, the, the kind of mod that you want and then just click one button and it is plugged into your game. You don't need to download and install things manually yourself. It's just plug and play. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to see more games adopting Workshop style models like that. Um, more games taking advantage of Steams, maybe other platforms starting to come up with similar solutions for modding. Because, mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I'm a person who plays a small number of games a lot. And mm -hmm. much of the appeal in coming back to those games is changing up the experience with some mods that, that players created. And being able to do that as easy as I have on Steam mm -hmm. would be great if I could have done it that easily on something like Fallout New Vegas, where like all of the modding is still kind of in this manual stage. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. And comparative to like even the creation studio and stuff like that that Bethesda games have where it's like behind a paywall and shit like that. Yeah, I guess um, Fallout 4 had a, a decent modding solution where it was kind of built into the game mm -hmm. and you didn't have to download some other mod manager and futz with your own files. So that yeah. was good. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like, but at the same time, too, like that does kind of piss me off. Where in their regard, they've always been very, and I think that's more maybe Zenimax talking, where they're like, "Yo, we need to get more money out of this shit." They see the dollar signs, but like Bethesda's always been known for so long for their like their openness with their fan base and the people who play their games, specifically on PC for modding and for hey, here's we're giving you a copy of, you know, the engine that we use, go ahead and fuck around with it. Like make whatever you want in it. Here's the keys to the, the city for the most part. Um, but now seeing them go behind, I believe it's called the creation studio or something like that, where you'll see some various mods and shit like on there that you have to like buy with in-game currency. Like not, I guess I, I should say like, like microtransactioned and it's yeah, like, like premium currency. Yeah, It's like, well, isn't, that that isn't technically that's gen, that's gen, uh, that's just like getting more downloadable content from the developer. Yeah. It's not like modding it. It's not the modding community. It's like it's more like getting your players to make DLC for you. Right, exactly. And that to me that kind of rubs it the wrong way. But I, I get what you're saying. I do agree. But um on my end, uh I've been doing good. Not just literally chilling. It's been nice having time off from fucking work once. I uh, I literally went into our time off with christmas and new year and shit like that like all right here's the stack of games that i want to go through and at least get good chunks taken out of or you know these i at least want to beat these couple of games because they're short quick sweet everything like that i played none of them really <laughs> um because oh, no. I, I wanted to but i played a fuck ton of games and you touching on it earlier i i wanted to give for some reason, because I've said it before on the show, I wanted to give The Witcher 3 one more try. I, I said, you know what, I will I have the time to sit here, play it on PC, like, 
I've tried it on like every console and it hasn't really stuck. I was like, I want to play it on, I have it on PC. I'm going to install it. I have the time to do that. Fuck it. I'm giving it one more shot. If it doesn't, if it doesn't click for me, it just doesn't click for me. I can respect it from afar. It is a great game. It deserves all that. Yada, yada, you know? So I said, yeah, I'll give it one more try. And it finally clicked. This game, everything that people have been talking about with this game on how you should approach it and whatnot and how it's transcended the RPG RPG genre, tongue twister, um, is absolutely true. I mean, it's... I For the longest time, I didn't like the combat. I was getting my ass chewed out. Like, if I leave White Orchard, like, for a second, I'm like, what the fuck? This game is just not fun. The, the scaling is not right. Yada, yada. And I'm a big, I'm a big believer in don't listen to the, oh, well, you know, it, it, stay with it. It gets good after 10 hours. Or if it gets good after, like, a TV series. Oh, it gets good in the third season. It's like, well, no, it that's should be. That's too long. <laughs> that's too long. I yeah. don't have time to invest this many hours if it's not going to be good. I'll invest however much time I want into something if it's great and it wants me to invest. Like, I want to invest that time. Fuck yeah. Like, I'm all for that. But, like. The only thing that ever stuck out to me that I really wanted to give that a true shot was Game of Thrones, and I'm glad I did because it did it did click with me after like five episodes, because um, I tried multiple times getting into that show, and The Witcher was kind of the same thing. I was like, eh, I don't know about this. I don't really know the backstory. I pushed through and I started looking at it in a new perspective, which really made it click. It wasn't the big overarching story, which does get good by the end. I'm in love with it. I can't wait. I'm hopefully going to finish it today. Um, I'm completely in love with it, but it's, it's almost the game of Thrones style thing where there's so many characters that get thrown at you right off the bat that you're like, I I couldn't tell who is who from the beginning, but it does such a good job of funneling all these people into that overarching story eventually and you 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 may meet one person at you know right after white orchard or during white orchard and they're not talked about again or they they're talked briefly but about by somebody else who then is like oh yeah i remember that person and they're kind of it's all funnels in it all has a purpose but it's not the end result that you're more that hooks you it's all the people and the side stories that lead into that that is really what makes this world you want to believe in like breath of the wild transitioned and transcended the rpg genre in a lot of ways for its exploration but it was very barren in 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 a good way because that's what that game wanted to go for it wanted to focus on the exploration and seeing a mountain in the distance meaning like i want to just go climb that and see what's up there and i wonder what little nook and cranny is there where this game is dense from the areas that you you want to explore in terms of the people that are around there it's that's why whenever like people kind of compare the two, I'm like, eh, it's apples and oranges. But at the same time, like I could see why, but the Witcher three is so much more about the people that are involved with the story than the places, because they are just kind of, you know, uh, European high fantasy esque middle, you know, uh, medieval esque like fantasy, which is cool. I like that, but you know, it's the people and the stories that you find within that all the characters are so unique and, you know, it just shocks me that it took me this long and like it's probably definitely going to be in my you know top 10 games of the decade easily now like it, it, it hit me that hard so i'm really excited to finish it off today hopefully so um one thing that i do want to see taken into 2019 or 2020 from this past decade and it really was on the tail end of this decade was the transparency that we saw from a lot of developers as the gaming industry kind of evolved and that was more 
for example, like Nintendo, whenever Metroid Prime 4 kind of went and, you know, they had to restart development. They were just upfront about it. They were transparent. They were like, listen, this is what's going on. We're restarting development. Here's who's developing it. We don't really have a timeline for it. It's starting from scratch. Be patient with us. But we want to be honest with you. We don't want to lead you down. Like, just in general with business and even marketing, like, transparency and being honest with people and upfront, like, is, like, you don't have to use the, like, you don't have to use the PR bullshit method. Just be upfront with people and tell them. And most of the time they're going to be like, okay, I, especially with gaming now, like it seems most fans are, if you're upfront saying, Hey, our game's delayed, but it's for this reason, we want to give you the best possible product. We don't feel comfortable putting that out there for you because we don't agree. We need this extra six months or whatever is really going to transform this game into the vision we believe. And if you give us that, well, we promise this is what we're going to give you. Like, more fans are like, okay, I'm cool with that. Take all the time you need. Like, let these people have Christmases with their families and whatnot um, instead of working for 80 hours a week for two months. Um, so, to me, that's I want to see that transparency be pushed forward. On the opposite end, though, what I want to move away from, and it's kind of like two, it's two sides of the same coin, I guess, but looking at it more in the, the secrecy with gaming, I'm all about... I'm all about the the pop, the getting the pop, getting the surprise element. I I love that. It builds hype. That's cool and everything like that. But it's almost like the Fallout 4 perspective with it. And hopefully now Bethesda's starting to lean a little bit more away with that, acknowledging Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6, even though they are far away. But this, like, secrecy that's covered gaming for so long, like, where it's you don't see it in movies. Whenever a movie is going to be made, like there's an announcement, there's a press release with it. Like, you know, um, the new Batman movie that's coming out in 2021, where it's like Matt Reeves, Matt Reeves announced it. Hey, we're doing this. I'm looking for actors right now. Hey, uh, Robert Pattinson has been cast as Bruce Wayne, Batman. Like, and here's the other people we're casting along the way. Like it's so like, you're upfront about stuff so far in advance and it doesn't have to be that far in advance, but you look at gaming in general, like take for Fallout 4, for example, like they announced it, what, six months ahead of time, five months ahead of time. And it's like, that's the first you heard of it. It's like, well, fans kind of knew that a new Fallout was coming. And even Kotaku kind of got blacklisted from Bethesda because of that, because they reported on, you know, months before that, hey, a new Fallout's coming. It's been in development for years, obviously. Like, games don't get made overnight. Yeah. Just be up, like, just another thing. Be upfront. be transparent. Like, leave that, just, you don't have to sell the whole farm, but, like, add an E3. It's great. You're seeing more and more now developers are saying, hey, here's a quick teaser trailer, even if it is, like, you know, a proof of concept almost of here's what you should expect. Here's the taste that you should get from this. Um, so I, I hope that that secrecy kind of goes away. Leave that shit behind. We're all adults. It's like, it's almost like the old adage of like kayfabe and pro wrestling. Like obviously fucking like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock aren't like, you know, trying to beat each other up every single night. Like they're traveling together and shit. Like it's like, Come on now, like we we know, don't pull the curtain back or pull the curtain back, kind of shit. Like let's be real. So, um, 
to me, that's I, I kind of would like to see that stay there. But let's transition into our show. We got light news, like I said. But before we do that, let's go into our housekeeping. It's our free game giveaway. Do you like free games? Unless you're a psychopath, you definitely do. So let us help you hook you up with some games. We're giving away a brand new free game of your choice on any console you want to one lucky listener. And all you have to do is the following. Follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast and retweet the pin tweet on our profile and make sure you're listening to the show to know if you've won. That's it. Once we hit our follower girl, which we're getting close to, we will get someone squared away with games. So head on over to at GPGC Podcast today and enter. So one little news article, I just picked this out beforehand just because I thought it was cool. Uh, you guys know Untitled Goose Game, right? Yes. 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 Okay. So it did. It was announced, uh, I believe, beforehand, before the Game Awards, but they did put an advert in there about it coming to m- other consoles outside of uh, Nintendo Switch, which it sold Gangbusters on. But it's hit bigger milestones of that. And a big part is thanks to Xbox Game Pass. So this comes via Stephen Watt at GameSpot. The indie hit Untitled Goose Game has crossed a million copies sold, according to Panic. The milestone came just a couple of weeks after the game hit PS4 and Xbox One, having originally debuted on PC via Epic via the Epic Game Store and Switch. The publisher marked the announcement with a heartfelt thanks to the fans. Quote, it seems impossible, but last week, three months after launch, Untitled Goose Game passed 1 million copies sold, said Cable Sasser on Twitter. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for playing our video game. The reaction was beyond anything we could have imagined. The fan art, the writing, yes, the memes, protest signs, Chrissy Teigen, Muppets, it it feels once in a lifetime. We hope we brought some joy into your life because you brought so much into ours. Untitled Goose Game originally launched in September and its silly sense of humor and unlikely protagonist, a horrible goose, quickly became a popular meme. As Sasser referenced, it spawned a wide array of fan art mods, viral tweets from celebrities like Chrissy Teigen, and a brief parody sketch from the Muppets at the Game Awards. It launched on PS4 and Xbox One on December 17th and was included as part of Xbox Game Pass. The quote, the important thing is that Untitled Goose Game is a hoot, James O'Connor said in GameSpot's review. It's a comedy game that focuses on making it on making the act of playing it funny rather than simply being a game that features jokes. So just kind of real quick before we get into our big topic, which is game of the year, um, you know, with the continued rise in user count with Xbox Game Pass, should indie developers seriously consider launching day and date on Xbox Game Pass and taking that quote unquote big check up front if given the opportunity over a traditional storefront? With, you know, the ridiculous statistics we've seen from Xbox Game Pass of users checking out more games and, you know, developers coming out and saying, you know, people have been worried, oh, you know, are developers making the mon- enough money, you know, launching or, you know, putting games on Xbox Game Pass? Are they getting as much as they should for their games? And a lot of developers coming out and saying, oh, no, we are. And what's even more important is we're getting more players coming on here to check out our game who are getting more interested and they're more likely to buy the game then. Um, do you think launching day and date when a game does come out, do you think it coming from an indie front at least, do you think taking that quote unquote big check and going on Xbox Game Pass day and date is going to be a more, we're going to see a more traditional, uh, this become more traditional comparative to recently, you know, recent traditional storefronts, I guess, comparatively. If it works for them, I think they should definitely go for it. Like, mm-hmm. it's a miracle that some games get made at all. So, like, if they can secure their future and make sure that they can 
just finish something. Um, if that means going on Xbox Game Pass, I, I don't think there's a lot of drawbacks to it. You know, mm-hmm. they get their funding up front. They get uh, they get like a good publishing deal. They know they're going to get put in front of players' eyes, and they know that people aren't going to be like. It's it's uh, I guess it's easier to get in get your foot in the door mm-hmm. uh, on Game Pass because there's not a lot of commitment. A player can be like, oh. I see this on here. I just want to check it out. You know, I can I can play anything on this list. Mm-hmm. So they check it out, and maybe they really like it, and they'll buy it retail. Oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. So I think if it works for that developer, it's definitely a good move. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? Uh, I guess my vision on it is similar to Adam's, but the reasoning is a little different. Um, mm-hmm. I think that just like Adam said, I think it's a risk reward type situation for developers. I think that when you sign an agreement with someone like Microsoft and you're going to release it right on Xbox game pass mm-hmm. and you get your money up front, it obviously takes a lot of way away. A lot of the gamble that you would have as a developing studio, like, wow, we really need to sell this many copies to be able to keep our doors open. Like there's a lot of free work that gets done by game dev companies, uh, smaller ones more so than the bigger ones, but because it's sometimes it's like just purely a gamble. Like we need to put in this money, uh, man hours to get this job done. And this is what's required of us. And let's get it done because we believe in our game. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't want to come across as like, wow, only people who sell out and are afraid that their game games aren't going to be that good will go to game pass that's not the case that i'm making at all i'm just saying that like as a game dev studio if you can get guaranteed money i think that's the safe route Mm -hmm. and if you truly think that you have a banger on your hands and you'd want to keep a larger chunk of like and you think that you can make a lot of money and grow as a studio that's up to you but i really like that they would have this option to fall back on that they would you know i think it's going to save a lot of studios and i think it'll cultivate the talent and the growth of those studios and they'll go on to make bigger things Mm -hmm. um just by taking the safer route which i think is a win-win for gamers devs and people who just enjoy um the art form that is making video games Mm -hmm. no definitely i mean i'll i'll never argue taking you know the safe safe route take the money especially with how you know gaming being so such a big populace now with gamers and people wanting to make games that you know in more tools being available to more people who are interested in making games we see you know the problem a lot a lot of times with big storefronts like steam the psn store uh even the xbox live marketplace like you see a lot of stuff just get buried that you know uh a game like say i don't know undertale for example you know gets released on playstation and say there's no like marketing behind it or something like that well if people don't see it that day, it potentially could just get shuffled down and then you'll never see it again. Um, so to me, going on to a platform like Xbox Game Pass where, yeah, there's a lot of games on there, but there's only like, what, 200 or something like that. And all the time they're adding and taking out new games, like a revolving thing. There's staples in there. But if you're going on there, at least to start, Xbox is for sure cutting a check to you saying like, hey, you know, you're if you're for going to launch on the store at least to buy it, but you're giving these people the chance to play it included in this price that they're paying. Here is uh, a check to keep the doors like a check that could potentially keep the doors open for you and the lights on um, up front. You don't have to worry about anything. You're guaranteed this money. Um, to me, that's so important for indie devs, especially coming though into a place like Xbox Game Pass where 
you're you're still a smaller fish compared to you know your halos your gears of war x etc etc dooms on there you know but it's still you're you're a bigger fish comparative to the thousands and thousands of games that are on all these storefronts that you can never see you know i can never looking on the steam i was even looking on the uh winter sale today just to pick up a few games and like just clicking on you know top sellers there's a billion pages of you just keep scrolling through and scrolling through and scrolling through. There's so many games on there. How the hell do people even see half of these games? So to me, that kind of stands out with it. I, I personally, I think this is going to be the way of the future with when it comes to smaller experiences launching, uh, even look at like a Blair Witch or something like that. You know, I think having that on game pass really helps it out, but, um, Anyways, let's transition into our big topic, and that's right, we're talking game of the year for 2019. Now that 2020 is here, we can finally close the door on 2019, talk about, you know, a lot of the things we did like about it, but more importantly, I want to talk about game of the year, what games we love the most, and even give you, the listener, the chance to kind of pick, help pick our game of the year in a sense. So, now that 2019 is officially over and 2020 is here, it's time to talk Goaty. Let's talk about our game of the year. I want to compile a list of games that should be considered for game of the year and then narrow that down to three choices, one for each host, so that each host has, you know, a say in what they believe is their game of the year instead of doing one overarching game because we all have different tastes and what we like and not, or, you know, stuff like that. So um, I think that better represents us that each one of us, after we give our choices, narrow it down and agree on, okay, these are our three games of the year that represent the game pass game cast. Um, so one for each host so that each host has a say in what they believe in. After this week's show though, we're going to run a poll that includes all three picks and open it up to you, the listeners to vote on, to crown the game pass game Cast's gamers choice award for 2019. So you're picking, it's like our fan vote of what you think out of those three games is the best game of the year. So just to preface this, I want each of you guys to bring at least, three games to the table for 2019. You can bring up to five, but at least three that launched this year that you enjoyed that you think deserve to be on the short list of, you know, top 10 games of the year or what have you. So, and I want you to give, you know, just a quick elevator pitch on each one. We'll go around each do one and just keep rotating till we get all of our lists out there. And then we'll start to narrow it down to our three. So starting with you, Adam, I want you to give me one game that you played this year Give me a little quick elevator pitch on it, on why you think it deserves to be Game of the Year. And also to preface too, remasters, re-releases, relaunches, those are all included because there were so many this year um, that those are more welcome to show up on these lists. Um, if a good game's good and it came out this year, I'm all for it. So let's start with that. Adam, kick us off here. Give me one game that you think should be on the Game of the Year list. All right. Uh, I'm going to start things off with Disco Elysium. Ooh. In this game... You play as an amnesiac cop in a sort of turn-of-the-century city where you have drunk yourself out of all of your memories of the case you were working before you arrived, of who you are, and even of the world around you and its history. So while working this murder investigation, you also have to learn about your past and the world around you by doing what you do best and that's asking questions and doing detective work um it's a fun murder mystery and an interesting political commentary um that i think it's some of the best rpg writing of the decade 
So what do you, I, here's a quick question. Do you think, what do you think's more, what do you think hooks you in more with that game? The writing or the gameplay elements of it? They're kind of intertwined because like the RPG elements are boiled down to you just have skills um, and your skills are constantly being checked all the time. And whether or not you pass or fail a skill check is whether you get an insight into the many facets of this player character's psyche. Like each one of your skills is just kind of a thought process that's running in your head at all times. Or it can be something that like, if you're in a conversation, you get the opportunity to get a word in edgewise or make a good point. Um, so I think the writing and the gameplay are kind of inextricably linked. Um, but I'll say some of the most fun is just like you'll be talking to someone in one location and they'll reveal a detail and you're like, I know exactly where I need to go next. And the map is relatively small, but you walk slowly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can run, but you still move slowly across this map. So some of the most fun is the buildup and the anticipation of having a detail, having a key, and you know that the lock is on the other side of the map. And you just, this time spent walking between those two points, mm-hmm. building that anticipation is a, a big draw of the game for me. Nice, nice. So, and this is another quick question before we move on to Mike with his game. Um, do you think, we know that console ports are coming with this. Um, and I'm excited about that because I'm going to jump into it, but I haven't played a lot of like isometric games outside of, you know, the Diablos and stuff like that on consoles. Um, do you think that style of RPG is going to transition well to a console, to a controller, to that sitting in front of a couch, you know, for six hours and playing this game or what have you? Um, do you think that's going to transition well, or will the PC version of this kind of be the dominant one? thankfully because the game doesn't have like a traditional combat engine Mm -hmm. there's no reason that like a mouse and keyboard is really necessary to play i imagine the console control scheme will just like be joystick to move a to interact with something maybe hold down a trigger to like highlight interactable objects around you Mm -hmm. and then when you get into a dialogue you know it's up and down and then a to select a choice um i think it'll translate pretty well in terms of control scheme i don't see any like technical limitations coming up with it being on console so i think it's going to translate just fine nice nice good i'm excited to play it i know i've mentioned that like every week that i'm like man i can't really wait to play this game and then i keep putting it off and then situations like i'm in now where the witcher pops up and just fucking engulfs my gaming um you know it's I'm still excited to play this, and it's definitely going to be a console game for me, just so I can kind of take it around places with me. But I'm excited to play it. Um, that's was one of my blind spots this year, but I'm hoping to you know see the light with that game in the near future. But let's kick it over to Mike P. Pack. Mike, talk to me. Give me one of your games of the year that launched this year that you think fully deserves to be on this game of the year list and potentially be our one of our games of the year. Okay, um, I guess the first game I'll go with, uh, even though um, it was in Game of the Year discussion, but I feel like it probably got some negative points for being a remake, but uh, I'm going to Resident Evil 2 here. Uh, the, yeah, reason, the reason why I'm picking Resident Evil 2 is because it took an oldie but goodie, and I feel like a lot of the OG fans um, that played the game back when it actually first came out 
really enjoyed this new experience for a lot of reasons. I mean, obviously the first couple of Resident Evils were older games, so they had mm-hmm. their little hiccups and whatnot, but the optimization of the game, I think, really drew the older fans in. They really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, the new artwork is gorgeous. I felt like they did a very good job with telling the story of Claire and Leon. And I think, um, you know, because it was a remake, I felt like Capcom did a really good job providing ex- extra content to the game, which, mm-hmm. by the way, was at like little to no cost at all for the the users that bought the game originally there was the two campaigns uh you could play leon or claire and i was a big fan of claire's campaign Mm -hmm. um so i preferred claire's campaign but not that leon's was bad just you know different different strokes different blokes type situation Mm -hmm. and i think um the extras that you got the challenge missions after where it was kind of timed and um you know, just the different strategies you could employ on different difficulties to play through the game was great. Um, again, there, with it being a Resident Evil, there's difficulty things uh, built in based on, like, camera, um, how you could interact with the world. You can make the difficulty in the game rise just by input being sometimes difficult, which mm-hmm. some people aren't the biggest fan of. Uh, I like to think myself... Um, I don't know that I would use the word purist as far as game experience goes, but... I don't like when cameras and movements and things of that nature add to the difficulty. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit of a hitch for me. But overall, I thought Capcom did a great job remaking a game. But, I I mean, it almost feels like a new birth for me. Like, obviously, I know the story was there, and I know that the base game was there for them. Mm -hmm. But it almost felt like a brand new game, and and I really enjoyed it. So I think that they deserve it. Um, I thought the story that they told, even though, like I said, it was developed previously, I thought they did a fantastic job. Um, and I was really excited to play it, and I'm really excited for uh, Resident Evil 3. And I think that the remakes that they're doing do a great job at what you wanted to disclude from this next um, decade, mm-hmm. the surprise element. Mm-hmm. I think them going back and remaking all these games, pretty soon they're just going to sprinkle in, oh, by the way, uh, we just redid RE3, we redid RE2, mm-hmm. RE8's coming out, and then we'll get to RE4 later. Mm-hmm. Because I think that RE4 is such a game for them that they're going to wait till the new consoles to remake that game. I think that oh, they for really sure. want to do that's, that game a great service. That's so their, that's my that's their little... like, nuke. That's their massive nuke mm-hmm. that they could drop really at any time at this point because of how, like, just the what's the word i'm looking for it's it's just such that like megaton game that's so important that like it's on so many top games of all time lists uh for what it did for that you know not stealth horror but like just capcom's ocarina it really is yeah yeah it really is and and like i feel like older resident evil fans point to that game because you know, their older three, two, and one were pretty dated. And mm-hmm. for new people, it might be difficult for them to get into. But everyone that's a Resident Evil fan could pretty much be like, well, if you didn't play three, two, or one, you can probably play four and enjoy it because it's a little modern. I mean, it is getting even more dated. Um, I guess we're getting older and 2020 is here. Mm-hmm. And I, I suggest, I guess that the that the experience could still be dated, but I feel like newer players could go back. And I feel like all the Resident Evil fans, there might be some because there's always outliers, but a vast majority of them could point at Resident Evil 4 and be like, hey, if you really want to see what the Resident Evil series is about, start with that one. And then we'll go from there. If you enjoy that game, you can start to branch out. And I think that 
they'll do RE3 and then RE4 will be the next like major launch on their on a new console and PC and Resident Evil 8 is going to be sprinkled in there too. Um, but all, my hat's off to Capcom. They did a wonderful job and they deserve all the praise and recognition that they got for this year. Mm-hmm. And they deserve to be in the conversation for sure. I mean, you could even say that the past since 2017 really was the, you know, you start to see the rebirth of Capcom with really kind of in my eyes, starting with Resident Evil 7 coming out and being so different and going back to the horror roots that that game has, but also leaning into modern horror too of the first person, the, uh, you know, really leaning into the environment, environmental storytelling around it and really immersing you in that you are, you know, you are in that swamp house. You are yeah. part of, you're, you're fucked. Like you are now granted it goes off the, the it's ending to me hurts it, but um, everything outside of that, it's, I mean, hands down, one of the best games, horror games ever made, in my opinion. The first, like, half of that game is fucking perfect, if you ask me. Um, but which would you rather see first? Would you rather see, since we're going back-to-back years with Resident Evil remakes, what do you mm-hmm. think fans, from a fan's perspective, what do you think fans of Resident Evil are clamoring for more? A RE8 in the style, like... It was for RE7, or even some kind of, you know, newer take on that. I don't know what else you would do, really, at that point. But it, to me, it seems to make more sense to just keep it first person, keep it like it was before. But would you think an RE8 on, you know, the next-gen consoles that do come out, or, like you said, a Resident Evil 4, or some kind of spin-off series, or something, would hit more? I, I, I'm i curious to see what you think, because I, I thought we would for sure get... RE8 before RE3, but now that more info's come out about RE2 and RE3 kind of being developed at the same time and were originally going to be a bundle, and then that split up during development because, you know, they were kind of, they didn't think they would get it done in time, and they wanted to space them out and be their own games at that point, but what do you, what do you think, Mike? Um, I think as a fan standpoint, and you kind of touched on a, on a nice, uh, or tugged on a nice thread that I think it's a, it's, a, it's important to discuss is i think if there's one problem with the older resident evil games um even with like two it the remake of two is the immersion situation or lack thereof for Mm -hmm. better for better words um i feel like the next two games that i offer up do a much better job of getting you involved in the world around you than what resident evil 2 did with that being said i think resident evil 7 like you said did a fantastic job putting you literally in the shoes of the uh protagonist and getting you involved in the in the world in every way that they can Mm -hmm. um up to like you know your first person view looking at your arm and you having like it being stapled together um all that is just fantastic. And I feel like fans are really clamoring for another first person experience because of the immersion point. And also it offered the speedrunning community, which is huge with resident evil, a little new wrinkle that you have to optimize these runs while being in first person instead of third person and, and second or third person and utilizing the camera for certain things. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, you know, I think that everyone really wants to see a new Resident Evil 8, but I think everyone's realistic and understands that it's not going to be until the next gen. So we're in a holding pattern until then, for sure. Yeah, 
definitely. No, that's RE RE uh, two is a good pick, man. That's that was definitely not gonna lie. That was on my list of easy, you know, contenders for this year. Um, one that I'm going to throw out there that it isn't my top choice for game of the year, but I right. I, I think many people know already what my game of the year is because I fucking like have sucked it off ten times on this show. Um, figuratively speaking, obviously. Well. Farming Sim 2019. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, but one of the games that I think has gotten overlooked just because of the space that it's in um, and always being so so changing and moving and always being a live service game, Apex Legends. I think the way that Apex really, if you ask me, and especially you know a game that, I, like I said, I'm going to talk about later, Apex is one of really those points in multiplayer gaming this gen that one solidifies respawn entertainment as hands down one of the best developers out there right now remove remove the ea blanket from them and they are i think people would be looking at them up there with you know the not obviously the polish level of a nintendo or whatnot um but with the strong first party uh, first party developers you see with like a PlayStation, like a Naughty Dog, a, um, oh, what's the, fuck, what was the one I was just thinking, like a Sucker Punch and, you know, stuff like that. But what they did with Apex, basically shadow dropping it for the most part, um, outside of giving people like two days heads up, um, the way that they've approached not being crunch heavy like Fortnite, where Fortnite and Epic are like, hey, Granted, we hire an asinine amount of people to come and work on this game, but it's always evolving. There's all we're always working on. It. There's like a patch once a week or whatever. Um, that we always have events going on, and they're working nonstop on this game in terms of like there is that level of crunch all the time. Where Apex is literally, hey, we're doing seasons and they're gonna last for like six months or whatever, but it's for good reason because one, we don't want to overwork people, but we're going to give you a shit ton of content with that each time we do put that out um, compared to the Fortnite, which still is great and still is one of the best games, multiplayer games, even though I'm not a fan of it. It's still, I give it it's the credit. It's one of the best in history. Right. Oh, hands down. I mean, it's going to, it's one of those tentpole games now in gaming history that you're going to look back and say that was a moment in gaming with that. But I think Apex really is such an evolution of the, battle royale genre of the twitch shooter and what it did with the pinging system specifically is really you're you're gonna start seeing that come up more and more and more and more in games where it's so it's just going to be second nature of if it isn't in that game you're gonna sigh and you're gonna be like uh you're gonna be like well i i played that in apex it's so easy to say hey i'm pinging here's armor here's this gun here's we need to go here's uh enemy up here at this click i'm just gonna ping them where, like, people know instantly there's, even if you're playing, you know, you get, granted, you have to play triples or whatever whenever you go in. You don't necessarily, if you say somebody, there's a language barrier or whatever, you don't you don't have your mic plugged in or whatever. You don't have to talk to somebody. You could just ping. You could say, hey, here, you know, ping enemy at this area or whatever. Um, so it's, to me, I think it deserves more credit than it gets now because it, for the first, you know, quarter of the year, really was dethroning Fortnite, but we saw that kind of dip off because they didn't do as many updates. But when they did updates, it was impactful and it did bring people back in. And it was, in my eyes, I'd rather take that where they're doing very small updates and you know, 
different balancing things for the game and whatnot, but I'd rather personally have that, knowing maybe just because I, like you guys, I know what goes on in the gaming landscape of developers working on these games. I know people make these games and not robots, so it's, you know, if they're working 24-7, I want people to have holidays, I want people to have be home with their families where it's like, okay, I could play this game for a while. You don't have to keep adding, you know, mechs, taking them out, adding lightsabers, taking them out. Like it's <laughs> just, just like put some stuff in and leave it there for four months. And then we're good. Then move on to something else. Like that to me is a good balance. And I think apex really kind of hits that balance and it's the smoothest and most fluent game. It, I think it's what, if you ask me what black ops with their blackout mode tried to be, but Apex did it better and ate their lunch with it, you know? And to me, it, it's optimized on every front it's on for the most part. I mean, you do have to have decent RAM to play it on PC smoothly, but really anybody's, you could at least get decent frames on it with basically any computer. It's scalable. Um, but to me, that's it's an easy contender for, in my list of, that should be on there and should get a little more recognition than it does. But... Uh, Adam, let's kick it over to you, man. What's your next game that you got on your list? I think you guys probably saw this one coming. My next game of the year is going to be Pathologic 2. Wait, really? I've never heard you talk about this game. Yeah, I've never heard What's of this it. Game? Tell us a little bit about yeah, it. Tell oh. us about this game that I've never heard you talk about ever. I can't believe you guys have never heard about it because <laughs> it was one of the biggest and best-selling game <laughs> releases of this year. Well, let me tell you about <laughs> it. <laughs> Um, so the elevator pitch for this game is you play as one of three healers in a remote town on the Russian steppe trying to fight a deadly plague. Ooh. And along the way, um, you're going to kind of unravel this mythology about the town, the superstitious people that live there, and kind of their cult-like religion. And you're going to have to walk the line between the new, the modern world, the, the world that's moving on from the old ways, and the old, the traditional, the superstitious, the kind of magical, mystical thinking of the old ways. And as much as you want to try to save the people in the town, you're not going to be able to save everyone because you have to account for your own survival. And so it's it's a bit of a uh, a survival RPG, I guess I'll say. Mm -hmm. um you know it has elements of like keeping your your hunger and your exhaustion topped up um but other than that it's kind of a game where you just kind of walk around and talk to people and unravel the story as you go mm -hmm. now with that coming to game pass and being now a console game and being available to so many people do you think it kind of almost like the question i was asking with disco elysium with this game being so heavy and me only playing the first one on PC and that very much almost almost Morrowind-esque feel to it of a lot of text reading, a lot of... It did it, definitely have that feeling. Yeah, it, it, it was very, not antiquated, but it was just, it felt like a game from years past. Like, you could see a little age to it of how it was designed, which... You know, no offense, no offense to that, because I love Morrowind. I can pick up and play Morrowind at any time, but I know there are people now who come into RPGs and different first-person experiences like this specifically, which is hard to like, kind of put a like you were saying, kind of put a genre on it specifically. But yeah, because it almost has horror elements to it. It almost like there's a lot to unpack with the game, but I think it it deserves to be unpacked. Um. 
But do you think that transition or, you know, this one being the newest release for that series, do you think that's going to translate well to, you know, more of the casual audience or at least the mainstream audience who plays a lot on Game Pass and is very kind of in tune with the Xbox ecosystem who plays a lot of, you know, different games that comes out? I hope that it will get get that game in front of their eyes, but I don't know if it's actually a game that is like for everyone. What does how about um, this? Let me kind of add to that. What does the second one do compared to the first that you think can help it be that game? Like help it, you know, reach that audience, I should say. I think it's just more surface level appealing. Um the like just just the graphics are a little bit more approachable. Mm-hmm. The writing is a little bit more coherent, mm-hmm. um, as in, like, it, it makes sense. It, you, if you go into it expecting it to be, like, all very kind of literal and face value, you're at least going to be able to get your foot in the door. Much of the game's writing is kind of operating on this meta or metaphorical level mm-hmm. that if you read between the lines, you see that it's actually saying something that's not what meets the eye. Mm-hmm. but it does allow you to kind of like ease into that. It's not like, what the hell am I reading? This reads like a stage play. Everyone is speaking in metaphors and riddles. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what my objective is. Mm-hmm. Like that's how the first game kind of felt. This one is a little bit more straightforward. You have more like concrete goals. Like I need to find my father. Oh no. Uh, can't find him because of spoiler reason. What do I do now? Well, I have to go talk to this other person to figure out what to do next. And like it's a little bit more of a logical progression. So I think it just has better story structure, more approachable writing, much, much more approachable graphics. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, that was the one thing that always stuck out to me with compared from the first to the second, like the first one, great game. I enjoyed when we were, you know, would kind of sit down and all play it together all for that. But, um, the one thing that did stick out it was almost like it always reminded me of like the first fables like character models and their faces like yeah (laughs) Um, where the hell's the gods (laughs) so uh that's great i i do want to i do want to kind of get into the second one i really do want to give it the chance it deserves for you know my time and whatnot like that Uh, just especially you've pumped its tires so much and deservedly so because it seems like the people who do connect with this game really do connect. Like it's not a, Oh yeah, it was great. It was like the people who play it and do like it, love it. Um, so I do want to give it a try, uh, because I do like that kind of off the wall storytelling a little bit, but, uh, Mike, give me your second one. Give me, give me the second on your potential game of the year list. Yeah. So my second game I'm going to include is, uh, Sekiro, uh, shadows die twice, which actually did win game of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why I'm nominating this one is because diving into it again recently, uh, thanks to you, Travis, mm-hmm. um, I've had a lot of fun and it feels like a souls born game. Mm-hmm. Um, feels like a ninja gaiden you have your advanced movement with the, uh, grappling hook. Uh, the battle is the fighting is very strategic and, at the same time, very punishing. Um, you don't have a lot of health when you're fighting against big bosses. You die very quickly, just like in Ninja Gaiden. And it feels really good. Um, I felt like the storytelling that they did, getting you immersed in the culture that they wanted to get across to you, they do a fantastic job at culturizing you as a player in this culture that they built um, and that they're, you know, following. And it's 
really tremendous and the immersion level of that game is just fantastic you feel immersed you you're using sound you can use stealth you can try to use brute force if you want gives you a few options there mm -hmm. uh and i feel like overall um you know the enemies that you fight are scary at times um punishing at times dumb at times just like all ai um you can you know abuse certain ai types other ai types kind of abuse you mm -hmm. um it's really cool and just like the general looting, the healing, the item system, all of that is they did a very good job. Um, the only thing I wish they would have done a little better uh, with the game, because I don't think that there will ever be a perfect game. I don't know that there was ever a perfect game. Um, I could probably nitpick about every single game that I've ever played. But I feel like um, some of the like I feel like the attacks, while I said it was strategic, I feel like you're limited attacks with like the right bumper is kind of streamlined um now while it is difficult and while it is stream like uh um souls ish i feel like some the fact that a lot of the fighting and a lot of the boss battles and everything mm -hmm. just you know only really being able to dodge and then hit right bumper and using left bumper to kind of parry attacks i feel like it kind of streamlined it in a way that um, I wish they kind of would have had a little bit more depth with the combat, but outside of that, the game is spectacular and it definitely was deserving of winning the 2019 game of the year award. I felt like they did a fantastic job. Do you think this game is comparative to other, you know, difficult or difficulty focused games like, you know, Soulsborne, like you said, that it falls into being a friend from software game, but also, you know, the Ninja Gaidens of... Mm -hmm past years what do you do you think this game has more elements to it that make it more approachable to a mainstream crowd uh that appeal to more people outside of you know i'm, I'm not talking necessarily like art design or game direction or anything like that i guess really but more the gameplay elements is it more approachable and you know less standoffish than most people who are new to the series would feel going into it i feel like when you're in the beginning of the game like you know, you're just starting out on the game. Mm -hmm. There's a lot less environment maneuvering and things of that nature that will basically kill you <laughs> um, or end your game uh, per se. Like some of the soul, like some of the Dark Souls games and Ninja Gaiden, for instance, like you can fall off the map and die. Mm -hmm. It can be very punishing. You need to utilize uh, the environment to kill certain enemies. And you do in Sekiro, but they do it in a way that's very approachable. The first level is mm -hmm. very fun. Um, there's a, a plethora of enemies for you to kind of, you know, kill if you want. Um, it's kind of, it doesn't hold your hand, um, but it also doesn't, like completely feed you to the wolves so it kind of brings you up to speed and it's very good um in terms of like hey this is how you play the game this is what you're going to experience here's how to fight this enemy here's how to fight that enemy and it does a very good um job of kind of building a base layer of teaching you the game and then going from there and um, adding in layers of strategy um as far as is it a souls type game does it fit up with ninja gaiden um i wouldn't I think it had it did its own thing. Um, while it kind of goes into that difficult game, because like I said, it's very punishing. If you mistime a parry, if you mistime an attack, you can die very quickly to big enemies and even smaller enemies. If there's enough of them, if you mess up your timing, it can certainly be you know 
extremely punishing, just like a Ninja Gaiden, just like a Dark Souls game. Mm-hmm. But the thing that it doesn't do is it doesn't have like a Ninja Gaiden have these mega enemies or these overwhelming odds where you have to chain these combos together, use certain weapons at certain times to complete the game, um, or at least optimize your chances to complete the game. Because there are times that you can just use the Dragon Sword only in Ninja Gaiden and beat it. But I think that the addition of shuriken and these extra weapons and how you can utilize them in your combat um, makes it so you can chain these combos together, but it's not a game like Ninja Gaiden, but again, there's not many that are. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like they do a very good job, and I feel like it does fit in that genre of Dark Souls, Ninja Gaiden. Um, Devil May Cry is a little hack and slashy, but I feel like it is a difficult game, so I put all those together, and I'm really happy to see Sekiro win Game of the Year, because I do like these games. They're enjoyable. I like the challenge of trying to beat them. I like the feeling you get when you beat them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm happy for them, and yeah, I would put them in there for sure. No, definitely. I totally agree. Totally agree. I think it's the most approachable from software game, at least, uh, personally, that I've seen. And like, it if you listed uh, Ninja Gaiden, Dark Souls, uh, Devil May Cry, I think Sekiro is the most approachable also because of the way that they kind of build your... It's like building blocks of how to be a player. Mm-hmm. And they do a fantastic job. And they don't... Like like I said, they don't hold your hand. It doesn't feel like you're being spoon-fed, like you're a complete and total helpless moron. Mm-hmm. Um, and they definitely let you punish because you can die a lot even in the first like level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I enjoy that very much so. Nice, nice. Good shit, man. Um, see, this one I'm kind of torn on. I guess I could do four. I do four, and I'll, I'll make one of them quicker than the other, just since we're already starting to get a little long in the tooth. But uh, the my next game that I do want to bring up, because I think both do, because I have one more after that, but um, my second game that I want to make sure gets on there, because at least I think the campaign deserves to get the praise that it does, uh, Gears 5. Uh, mm. I definitely want to bring Gears 5 on there if for the campaign alone, uh, multiplayer aside, but the one thing that anybody could pick up and play, no matter if you have Xbox Live or not. Um, Gears 5, its campaign really, I think, finally cemented the Coalition as one of Microsoft's storytellers to watch out for uh, moving forward. Um, the I, I I whatever people say about Gears Four, that's cool. You know, to me, I loved Gears 4's campaign. I guess it it stood out to me when I expected little of it. I guess it took me by surprise. But Gears Five really transcended and stood out with its storytelling, its immersion, um, the way that it its take on not open world, but you know, expansive levels, I guess you want to say there was, and they weren't as linear. They were multifaceted that you can go and find secret locations. You can go and find different things within that world. You can go and find, um, you know, different collectibles, not just cog tags and things like that, but it, it felt like you can actually get a footing and get it in more than just a quick in and out. Oh, I love this one quick chapter of Gears, uh, you know, Gears 1 or whatever. Oh, it's that one part where, that one level where you're on rail shooting, you know, shooting the, you know, Krail or whatever they are. Um, but no, this is like, the worlds that they built within Gears 5 are expansive. You can interact with different characters throughout the maps that are there. You know, it's, and the way that, 
they shaped the narrative too of Gears 5. It was impactful. There were decisions you made that are going to impact Gear 6 when it the inevitable Gear 6 when it lets out. Granted, the very end of the game, the last scene is very it feels almost Halo 2-ish where I kind of wish we would have got maybe just one more little clip after that to keep going that kind of, you know, closes off the the game a little bit better, but um you know, there's some there's some choices that you have to make that are going to be different from a choice that Adam made, from a choice that Mike made. Um, you know, that really were impactful and are going to shape that next game that it's going to be different for everyone. It's almost, it almost feels like a telltale esque, you know, Hey, these choices are going to matter and carry on into the next season that we give you, um, which I love. And I really, you could tell that after the response to gears four of being kind of, you know, kind of wishy-washy in the middle. Some people liked it. Some people did it. They wanted to Microsoft's, you know, commitment now looking forward to the next gen and the later part of this gen of first party exclusives they they did see hey what what gets people in with exclusives it's story it's what these big single player experiences that sell gangbusters do uh that playstation has done so well with this generation and you could see that they really invested full force into gears 5 with that because the campaign is fucking spectacular mike you you seem to have a fun time with the multiplayer of it um but I really want to focus on the Gears 5 campaign with this uh, because it's the most accessible to anyone who wants to play that game. But Adam, let's kick it over to you. Give me your third and potentially final game of our game of the year list that we want to nominate. This probably won't come as any surprise, but number three for me is going to be Fire Emblem Rehouse. Nice, nice. Now give me... Give me your elevator pitch on this, even though we've heard you talk about it before, but if somebody's new coming into this game, tell me what, kind of give that, hey, this is why you'd want to play this game, even though this is, I'm sure for many who have played this game, their first Fire Emblem experience. I think um, this would be a great game for anyone to get into Fire Emblem, not only because it's the first on console since the GameCube, and it's like, you know, it's on the Switch, it's right there. But it's also just, it uh, takes away so much of what felt like a grind in the other games. Um, so here's the elevator pitch. I'll say Fire Emblem Three Houses is a tactics RPG. Um, you command a force of students at an officer's academy, and you have to kind of navigate them through this, like, broiling international conflict all of them come from three different nations and they're they're basically teens at the start of the game as students you'll take them through some conflict that happens um in their days at the academy and then you will continue to command them when they become adults and they kind of come into their own as uh leaders in their respective nations um there's three different paths. You can, there's actually four different storylines you can take, so the game is highly replayable. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that you teach your students allows you to kind of customize their role in your party. Uh, so each of them has their own strengths and weaknesses, but there is some wiggle room as to whether you want to make this unit uh, like a heavy just damage-dealing mage or if you want them to be a damaging and buffing and healing mage. Or if you want this unit to be like in your face infantry, 
just high damage dealing, or if you want them to be more mobile cavalry, still damage dealing, but also able to like uh, cover a wide area over the map. So there's um, there's those aspects too, and also the story and the characterization are a big draw for this game. Um, every character has a reason for you to get involved with their story, a reason for you to keep them on your team, and a reason for you to like see their personal quests through. Mm-hmm. I found myself just uh, really enjoying hanging out with a lot of these characters and like kind of getting involved with their conflict, their stories, because the main character is a bit of a blank slate. Um, you're kind of just like a, a god at being a, a tactical commander and a uh, mm-hmm. and a soldier, but your own story kind of takes a backseat to the other conflicts that are playing out. So I just spent so much time with this game this year, really enjoyed it, and would highly recommend it to anyone who's remotely into tactical RPGs. If you're into, like, kind of an XCOM, it's not quite that. It's more of a, uh, more along the lines of Shining Force or Legacy Final, uh, Legacy Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have much more for it. Um, it was a real good game. Good game is good. <laughs> the soundtrack, the soundtrack has some bangers. Hey, there we go. Any, really, any like Japanese esque, like Japanese esque, like RPG or like strategy game like that that comes out there always has bangers on it. Like always, that's a, that's a given. Music is always like one of the best qualities with those games that come out. Outside of like storytelling and different things like that, but it's it seems like it that's such a staple with JRPGs and the like. I guess coming out that like the subcategories like role playing strategy like this that it, they always have just fucking slaps after slaps. Yeah. So Mike, kick us off with your last one here that you potentially have. Um. Yeah. So this one, I don't think technically this one doesn't technically fall into 2019 now it can be like it can be a re-release it can be which was why i kind of set up with that because i thought there may be one that you wanted to throw out there but oh i'm throwing uh, that's where i'm going now all right let's Uh, hear it i'm going with uh age of empires 2 definitive edition that's gonna be my third game that i include um so here's the reason why I'm throwing this game that's been re-released once uh, in an HD form. Um, now it's in the Definitive Edition form. The Definitive Edition really does a good job at kind of trying to bring the community together because what had happened with high def- the HD version is there was this contingency which was larger than the high definition fan base playing on Voobly, which was the preferred competitive uh, platform. Mm-hmm. And you two are um, familiar with Voobly from playing Rogue Spear. Mm-hmm. But it's basically a platform that takes the place of a thing called that used to be called MSN Gaming Zone, which basically would allow you to play online against people in these older games. It kind of takes over what Games by Arcade was doing. It just kind of brings all these old games that you can go into these lobbies, and as long as your computer runs them, it'll put you guys together in multiplayer games. Um, So DE kind of does this thing where it brings the Voobly players over to Definitive Edition with this nice, clean matchmaking system where you can ban maps. Now, whether the map pool is good or not is a different debate, Mm -hmm. but 
you can play these uh, matchmaking where you just go into a lobby, you can invite friends into a lobby and get matched against similarly ranked opponents. It streamlines that process where Voobly and HD, you had to make these lobbies, then you had to wait for people to join, and then you some people would be selective in the competition they played. No, no, it just puts you in a lobby, you play against people similarly ranked, and it you know makes it a lot easier for newer players to get involved. The other mm-hmm. thing that DE does um, is it has these training missions that teaches newer players that just get bullied on the game in general. Uh, it brings them up to speed and kind of teaches them the meta of how competitive players are playing. And, you know, just basically, you know, with the campaigns that it adds, it brings all the um, DLC that HD had together in one copy. And it gives you all this additive campaign time that you can play against the computers and enjoy a storyline which basically tells the story of historic battles mm-hmm. um and uh like i said um it has these training modules for newer players where like if you want to learn how to rush you it'll teach you build orders if you want a fast castle age it'll teach you the build order so it does a lot of things very well and what adam said um for what he wishes would expand in the new deck uh the new decade it has a very loyal group of modders that add mods to the game that make the game more enjoyable whether it be making the trees very small for competitive players because the big trees can take up a lot of your screen but small trees it just makes the same exact forests miniature so you can see things better um Mm -hmm. there's other building things where you can do these campaign maps that are almost impossible but people that want to play uh, very hard challenges can do. Uh, it also has build order mods where you can download these mods that teach you what build orders to use to do certain things. And again, it's all just making newer players or honing the skills of experienced players to make you more um, viable in a competitive format if that's what you're looking for. And if not, you can just beat the hell out of the computers. So I thought DE did a very good job at overhauling the graphics also. And um, while there are some stability issues, there's some other issues that comes along with taking a game from 1999 and modernizing it in 2019 for, you know, a 20 year uh, anniversary. I thought that they did a fantastic job and it makes me hopeful that Blizzard will do a good thing with Warcraft three reforged. Oh yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more, man. Um, I'm really excited for, you know, Warcraft three, like I've talked about before getting into that for, outside of just the campaign really for the first time i'm i'm very very excited for it so my last game that i do want to throw out there is gonna come to no surprise for a lot of people and that's because i've talked about this game for ad nauseum many a time but star wars jedi fallen order hands down the most fun i've had gaming in 2019 um the whole time that i'm playing it not just as, as somebody who is a diehard star wars fan and one of my favorite entertainment properties ever to exist outside of that remove that the whole time that i'm playing this game i've kept thinking you could take you could take off the star wars skin pull that off put on anything else i'm still having fun with this i'm still wanting to explore every nook and cranny that this game comes out with i'm still wanting to do you know Every, like, I went out, I got every achievement. I got every, I went through and just got everything because I wanted to see everything this game had to offer. Now, on top of that, like I said, being a huge Star Wars fan in general, this game is hands down the best Star Wars, has the best Star Wars story told to date, I would say, since really probably the Disney merger. And I love, don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of the new trilogy. I think the newer 
the newer movies are great. This does such a good way of blending all of these, and it doesn't try to shoehorn things in just to make it fit in the universe. It It's refreshing to, you know, have a game that comes out that's in this universe, tell a story that isn't relying on Luke, Leia, Han, you know, Rey, Poe, Finn. It, it doesn't have to worry about that. Sure, there are, like, little nods to things in there, but it's not, it, it doesn't feed into that main story. It's about, this is Cal's story. This is Cal Kestis' story. This is his adventure that you're going through that has no bearing on Luke Skywalker. It has no bearing on Anakin Skywalker for the most part. Like it's, it's just his own story. And that's so refreshing with the star Wars game, but I've talked to nauseam about this game before. To me, it is hands down the most fun I've had playing in 2019, especially a single player game um, where I just wanted to find any extra time I could to pop this disc in. And even after beating it, just messing around for a while, the combat's fluid, the combat's fun. You get your ass kicked at first. It's almost like the Dark Souls-esque approach. You're doing a lot of parrying. You're doing a lot of rolling and dodging. It's not just a hack and slash like we've seen in previous Star Wars games. It's, It's very much like you go in and you have to learn the mechanics. You have to focus in on your abilities, what you can and can't do. And you have to plan. You have to be tactical. It isn't just you're, you know, at first you're waiting on your opponent to make the first move. And then you could dodge. You can get them with, you know, uh, the lightsaber throw down the line and different things like that. You'll get force, uh, force pull, force push, stuff like that, all that. But at the end of the day, it's just a fun fun, 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 single-player game that I didn't... Fun, feel... fun, 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 fun! Exactly, exactly. It's just fun! Um, it, It's just what I felt was missing. It scratched that itch that really I didn't feel was here in 2019. Like, I, we got great... We got great games, don't get me wrong. Like, like you said, RE2, fantastic game. I even had a lot of fun with Kingdom Hearts 3, fantastic single-player game. Um, you know, it, there are these games that have come out this year that are single-player focused and whatnot, but not to the extent of that we saw in the past with a Red Dead, with a God of War, with a Breath of the Wild, but this at least puts us in that direction with it. It's not, it's not in that caliber, but I find this game sticks out just a little bit higher than all the rest to me personally. Um... It's not the most polished game. They've admitted that because I'm sure that wasn't a respawn. Um, you know, that wasn't a respawn call. That had to be an EA call. That's probably actually it's probably more of a Disney call that Disney said, "Hey, if we want to release this single player Star Wars game, it has to be ready in time to launch within the within the window of Star Wars Episode Nine hype. Like it has to it has to get has to be able to get those sales numbers that kind of piggyback off of the new movie that's coming out. So, I, I, personally, I wanted to. I wanted to see it stick in the oven a little bit more, get a little more toasty, but it it didn't ruin none of the things that people have said about it with it being buggy at times and things like that. I never personally experienced any of that, but I did see frame rate hiccups here and there, but it wasn't none of it like took any enjoyment away from it. It wasn't like I noticed them. It was like, oh, that was weird. Okay, move on. Like it wasn't like, fuck, this is like ruining my experience. No, it it all it just was the most fun I had playing in. 2019 a video game hands down uh that released this year at least and it really i think this game and apex really solidify respawn as one of the best developers this generation between 
uh, Jedi Fallen Order, Apex Legends, Titanfall 1, Titanfall 2. Titanfall 2, do not sleep on that campaign. It is fucking fantastic. Yeah, you were about to slit my throat when I was making fun of Titanfall Yeah, I was 2. like, whoa, 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 no, 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 do not shit on that. Like, <laughs> seriously, like, you could probably get the game on, like, most, like, storefronts for, like, five bucks right now. Just buy for the campaign alone. Like, you could see, obviously, Apex is within the Titanfall universe, but... Um, you could see, you know, feel of Apex within playing Titanfall 2, but it, it, that campaign alone, it's only like five or six hours, but it's hands down one of the best first person shooter campaigns this generation, if you ask me. Um, I still think Doom 2016 takes the cake for that. I'm curious to see how Doom Eternal does with that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, these two games, hands down, at least in this year alone, really solidifies Respawn as a premier developer for this gen, at least, um. So let's kick it over into, I want us to now narrow down, we got to pick one from our list of three here each. I, I, me personally, I think it's an, like, I'm hands down going to go with Jedi Fallen Order for mine. Uh, Gears 5 and Apex, both excellent games, but like I just said, Jedi Fallen Order to me is hands down deserves to get all the praise that it, it should get, um, and to me, like, that's just a no-brainer out of those games. It stands head and shoulders above. So, Jedi Fallen Order is going to be my my Game of the Year nominee for our three-game list. Um, Adam, why don't you kick it off? What, out of Fire Emblem Three Houses, Patho 2, and Disco Elysium, if you could pick one of those, which would you offer up to our listeners to vote on? I think just based on the... Hmm... tough it's gonna it's gonna have to be patho 2 for me Mm, really wow i thought i'll be quite honest i thought it was probably fire emblem but that surprises me patho 2 man yep that's gonna be the one for me wow mike i want you to give me yours now aoe 2 sekiro and re2 what is your game of the year nominee for our list of three I'm going to use this a little bit different than what people would probably expect me to go. Okay. I feel like Sekiro and RE2 have gotten proper exposure. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I'm going to go with Age of Empires 2, Definitive Edition. My major reason, I gave you a little elevator speech. My mm-hmm. biggest reason is because if you have ever tried an RTS before and you haven't tried Age of Empires 2, mm-hmm. this is the game to try. If you have tried Age of Empires 2 and it was too difficult for you to understand, there's plenty of trainings to try to gear up towards Age of Empires 4 to try to teach you how to play the game. And it's very noob friendly now as far as teaching you how just the basics of the game i really think you need to give age of empires 2 dependent edition a chance because this game deserves the recognition from the uh from the developers for the hard work that they did trying to bring a two separate like splintered communities together the voobly community and the hd community mm-hmm. bringing those two together and trying to make everybody understand the game better and they think that if you understand the game better you'll enjoy it more which is absolutely true you need to give it a shot Hell yeah, I love that. That's a hell of an elevator pitch right there for your reasoning, man. I I, I like that. I did not expect you to pick AoE 2. I thought it was either going to be... I, I thought it was probably... If you ask me, I thought it was probably going to be RE2. But, sure. Um, no, that's great. Um, And I like that reasoning. I, I really do like that reasoning of trying to pump its tires even more and saying, you know, hey, RE2, Sekiro, both were, you know, 
neck and neck for a lot of game of the year discussion, or, you know, true game of the year discussions on big outlets and whatnot. I like that you're saying, no, we got to take a look at this. And it was almost like we were talking before of, you know, things somehow, you know, there's so many games that come out anymore and a lot of storefronts kind of bury stuff. AOE 2 Definitive Edition, if you're not really in that community or in tune with that, kind of got buried like that it deserves you know hey this is a fucking great game and the way that it's like you said combine these two communities giving it almost the best of both worlds for both sides that it it deserves the praise that it gets so that's awesome to hear so for heading into next week's episode when this launches on friday you will see a post go up a poll saying it's your turn to make your voice heard out of the three choices we have for the People's, or what did I name it? The Gamer's Choice Award. I kept saying People's and getting confused. The GPGC Gamer's Choice Award for 2019. We have Pathologic 2, AoE, Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition, and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. I want you to vote on which game you want to see be crowned our Gamer's Choice of the Year. The best game that you think out of those three that deserves the praise and the recognition of our 2019 award for the people's choice game of the year so make sure you look out for that tweet that's going to go up on friday not long after this post give you time to listen to this you know form your own opinions on it um i'll make sure that goes up by the end of the day friday to get out there and have you vote on that guys that's going to do it for our game of the year discussion this year mike and adam adam let's kick it off with you first where can people find you talk about game of the year discussions and how much money we're going to end up spending on video games in 2020, which is going to be a fucking shit ton. <laughs> oh boy. The number is just obscene. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AC underscore Marshy. That's at AC underscore M A R S H Y. And Mike, what about you? Where can people talk to you about the game of the year discussion and AOE too, and how much you're liking it? Uh, at T O Y S X L D I E R and at, uh, MP underscore toy soldier on Twitch. I am new year, new me. I know it's, it's, uh, weird, but I am going to get a little schedule nailed down and I'm going to start doing like a little bit of variety streams, but I am going to have a healthy dose of age of empires two ranked one V ones. And I will be talking to the viewers and I'm trying to get better at describing what I'm doing while I'm doing it, why I'm doing it, what I see from the enemy, why I'm going to do X, Y, Z to counter ABC. So I think that if you want to get involved in age of empires two, or I'm going to get back into playing uh, games like the elder scrolls and other things of that nature. So come check it out and let's discuss what we talk about on a weekly basis here. I uh, we really want to give a platform for our listeners to try to come hang out with some of us and hopefully incorporate you guys in my streams too as much as possible hell fucking yeah man great to hear and as always i'm your host travis white aka travelus on most internet platforms including twitter at travelus t-r-a-v-l-e-s-s underscore you can also find me streaming time to time on twitch.tv slash travelus underscore same as twitter and you can also play some video games with me over on xbox live at travelus just regular travelus no underscore and this has been another episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, the first one of the new year. Your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox and Xbox Game Pass, including news, rumors, and conversations around them damn good video games. New episodes of the show drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get a podcast at. And Follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show, video games alike, and 
our cool giveaways that we do, including our free game giveaway that we're running right now. So, guys, that's going to be it for our show. Thank you so much for listening, sharing, and being a part of this growing community. Game on and play them fucking video games, and we will see you next week.